0: Good morning. So good to see you. So good to be with you. I'm uh, every now and again. Jared lets the old guy show up. And so uh, here I am. i so excited that you are about to, to celebrate your fifth year as a church. Unbelievable. That's so cool. And, and um, I, I just I can't wait to see what this year this next year unfolds for you all. I think it's going to be an exciting time of continued growth and I don't know about you, but I wake up just about every day praying for this church and the future of this church, and um, for a, a place to, to land, to be a foothold in the community. And I just think God's going to answer that pretty quick. So keep praying. I I know that uh, I know that God has 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 you here for a reason, and He will be faithful to you. So you've been going through a little series on on relationships. Is that true? Yes. The Enneagram. You a little bit of that? Does everybody know their number? Yeah. Good. I'm all nine. I have all. I'm every one of them, depending on the day and who I'm with. But I don't. I'm. I'm sure that uh, you're. You're figuring that out. As you deal with that, not only to try to figure out yourself, but how you deal with others is is important. And I know that yesterday was a big day on marriage. And uh, so Jared just asked me to talk a little bit about marriage. So if you're here and you're single, you're going, oh no, I have got to learn. Hang on, because you might get married, or you might get married again, or if you're married, you might be single again. <laughs> get married. Hopefully, that's not going to be the case. But hey, do you do you um, know who Louis Zapparini is? How many people know who Louis Zapparini? Anybody know who Louis? See his picture up there. Does that help you any? Louis, the book Unbroken. Is that or in the movie as well? You anybody see the movie Un- Unbroken? So the story of, of Louis Zapparini, maybe one of the greatest Americans that ever lived, they said. Um, he got shot down over the Pacific um, during World War II. Was out to sea in a little boat for days and days and days. Uh, the other survivors all died. It was just him fighting off sharks and everything else that was possible. He finally kind of washes up into the Marshall Islands, and the Japanese capture him and take him off to a prisoner of war camp where he's beaten mercilessly, just inhumanely treated. Um, and he finally gets out of there and, and comes back home and, he, and the story is, is pretty engaging. The cool thing about him, I think, is that he was a track star at USC before all that. He ran at the Olympics when Hitler um, had the Olympics in, in uh, Germany. Um, so he was able to carry the torch when the Olympics went to Japan the only American allowed to do so. And he he carried the torch from the prisoner of war camp. And it started out to his little leg of of how far he went. And uh, that city celebrated him. The mayor of that city where the prisoner of war camp was celebrated him, brought together all these dignitaries, called him up, interviewed him in front of everybody trying to figure out what was it like to be in, in a prisoner of war camp and, and how you got treated and tell us all about it. He went through this whole interview and the interviewer, the mayor at the end, says, I got one last little question for you. He goes, I hate to even ask this. I don't even know if, you, if, it's, a, if it's pertinent or not. But um, when you look at all the horrific things that happened to you as a, as a prisoner of war, is there any redeeming quality?" Is there any redeeming fact that happened to you that helped you in life? This Louis Zapparini said, oh, yeah, said with a smile on his face. He said, my two years in a prisoner of war camp helped me to prepare for 50 years of marriage. <laughs> if you see that movie, you'll really understand what, that, what that's all about. Um, lived to be 97 years old. Well, when you look about marriage, hopefully there's better ways to prepare for marriage than being a prisoner of war somewhere and getting beaten, but sometimes you kind of wonder. Here's, here's the little, little scripture that I would just give you out of Psalm 127. It says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house. There are a lot of ways to prepare for a marriage. There are a lot of things to do to strengthen our marriages. But I'm telling you, the Lord being involved in building them makes all the difference that doesn't mean you can't have a good marriage without the Lord I just think you're gonna have a better marriage with the Lord he takes bad marriages and makes them good he makes good marriages and makes them better there's just an emptiness without him and when he gets involved building them it makes all the difference in the world so I think one of the things that we need to look at in our marriages there's some myths that we bring in into marriage from the very get-go and I uh, Often before I'm marrying somebody, we'll sit down, we'll start talking about it in a premarital counseling thing, their expectations of marriage, and there's just some myths that we bring in, and we keep on, and sometimes our expectations go to a place that, because they're based on a myth, um, they just fall apart. So I'm going to look at five myths with you today. The first one is the myth of, combat- of compatibility. The myth of compatibility, that um, that we. That we must be compatible. In fact, 96% of Americans get married somewhere in life. So there's hope for some of you still. Or not so much hope. I don't know. 96% of the 96% that get married, 38% get divorced. Of the 38% that divorce, 79% remarry. And of that 79%, 44% divorce. Remarried, divorced again. America, United States of America, is the number one nation leading in divorces. And you know the main reason people give when they get a divorce? We are not compatible. Incompatibility. It's a myth. There's a there's an author, Paul is a Swiss psychologist, has this quote. The next slide, please. He says, so-called incompatibility is a myth invented by jurists in order to plead for divorce. It is likewise just a common excuse for people to use to hide their own failings. Misunderstandings and mistakes can be corrected when there's willingness to do so. The issue is not incompatibility. The issue is selfishness, stubbornness, unwillingness to compromise, unwillingness to change, unwilling to work to save the relationship. Don't call it incompatibility. Call it what it is, self-centeredness. How come you're so quiet all of a sudden? What's <laughs> it? It's a myth that I, one thing that the, the Enneagram will tell you if you study it and you look at whatever number you are, um, you probably didn't marry the same number. There's, there's a difference between you. And if you married the same number, that doesn't solve it as well. We're we're different people. We're we're not compatible. You did not marry the wrong person. You married one of the many imperfect people out of a sea of imperfect people. Because we're all imper- we're all different. And the myth is, well, if it's not really working out, well well, I just I think I think we need to just end it here. Here's the question really to ask. How do I love and serve this person that I married? that I, they seem more like a stranger to me. I mean, every time I think about compatibility, I think in the Bible there was a guy named Jacob who worked seven years for his wife, Rachel. Anything for her. I love her so much. Oh, just to spend the Dad says, work seven years for marriage. He worked seven years. Big wedding ceremony. Honeymoon night. I guess dark. Has a wonderful honeymoon night. Wakes up in the morning. Looks at his bride. And it's Leah, the ugly sister. The ugly older sister. His dad, his father-in-law, stuck Leah in there. And he's married to Leah instead of Rachel. And he's going, who? Who is this? You're not the person I thought I married. I thought I was getting, and then I got you instead. Somewhere in marriage... I think we all wake up and we look at the person next to us and go, who are you? You're not the person I thought I married. There's all these things about you're different than me. Our culture says if you're not compatible, just find someone else you're, you're compatible with. The problem is you marry somebody else, incompatible. It's better to try to figure it out. Second myth, the myth of smooth sailing. Smooth, if I just get married, everything's going to be smooth sailing. No more problems. Happy, happy, happy. I don't know about you. I, I don't do this. I've watched one, but my, my wife loves to watch Hallmark movies. Yeah, some of you have as well. They're a curse from Satan himself. I'm telling you that. Here's a Hallmark movie. I hate you. Conflict, 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 conflict for an hour and 50 minutes. (laughs) And then, ta-da, wrap my arms around you. I love you. I'm going to give you a kiss. 320 more commercials. And then they live happily ever after. Isn't that just the way life is? Happily ever after. Hollywood would would have us just always think it's happily ever after. And I wish it was that easy. It's just not life. Some things called children and jobs and responsibility and stuff happens. And it gets difficult. I mean, even when we think about dating, we we basically are on this, you know, how do I trick you into thinking I'm better than I really am? <laughs> Guys will actually like if not their best clothes will wear clean clothes on those dates. <laughs> Girls Ladies, they'll listen to you. They'll listen. You can talk all you. They'll listen. You know, they'll spend. Money. Everybody spends money. Lori and I were out to eat last Sunday evening, and we were sitting there, and it was a Mexican restaurant, and we were outside, and there was kind of a bar over there, and I and I was watching this couple. I don't know if they were dating or if they were newlyweds or whatever, but he he uh, he was sitting on a, on a stool like this, and. She was right there, and he had an arm out like that around her, and on the counter was their drinks and food and all that kind of stuff, and he had his his hand out and her hand there, and she was talking a mile a minute. And he sat there the whole time like this, <laughs> rubbing her back, rubbing her hand. I'm going, oh, my goodness. I hope Lori doesn't see this. <laughs> He's ruining it for every guy in the world. Just whatever you have. The only jaw that was moving faster than hers as she was talking about everything was me with another b- bag of chips. Bring some more you you. Know. <laughs> don't listen because it's, it's a date time. Whatever we can do to make somebody think that, that we're perfect. And, and then the, you know, the first thing we do when we get engaged is buy a diamond. You know, A 20-year-old doesn't need a diamond. 20-year-old needs a job. <laughs> you know, a car, a house, that kind of thing. Smooth sailing is another myth. Everything's going to be okay. Third myth is um, green pastures. Green pastures. The myth of green pastures that it's going to be all right if, if, if only, if only you were whatever. Fill in the blank: taller, shorter, skinnier, stronger, smarter, more communicative, made more money. If only. One of my favorite cartoons many years ago I saw were, were two cows out in the pasture, green pasture on both sides with a with a barbed wire fence in between the two, and one cow had its head through the, the fence eating where the other cow was standing, and that cow had his head eating where <laughs> that cow was standing. They were both looking for greener pastures, thinking that their other pasture was greener than That's the myth that somehow, if, if only, that it, it's going to be better and... And I I would just tell you this, stop stop comparing. Stop comparing. Start cultivating. Because the grass that you cultivate is going to be the greenest. The marriage that you cultivate is going to be the greenest. And we we have this thing that we fight all the time now called social media that helps us compare with somebody else all the time. Their life looks so much better. Their spouse looks so much better. What they have looks so bad. And we, we just think, if only I had that. Fourth myth. A problem-free marriage. The myth of a problem-free marriage. As soon as I walk down the aisle, no more problems. That's pretty true, isn't it? Here's what I found. If you're a self-centered, bitter, single person, about six months into your marriage, you're going to be a self-centered, bitter, married person. If you're greedy as a single person, if you're lust-filled as a single person, if you're impatient as a single person, about six months or so into the marriage, you're going to be a greedy, lust-filled, impatient, married person. Why? Because we're not perfect. In fact, we're sinners. So instead of a myth of marriage, let me give you the math of marriage. One sinner plus one sinner equals two sinners. So you get double the trouble under one roof. And then you bring a couple of sinnerlings into the mix. (laughs) And now you have quadruple trouble under one roof. We're going to have one house. We're going to have one. We're going to become one flesh. We're going to have one. And you bring it all in. And, And it gets deeper and deeper and deeper because... Um, we all need a Savior, and we all need help, and we all need hope, and we all need somebody and something. Um, I don't know if you've, if, you, if you've noticed, in our culture, it seems to have um, more of us in our past have, have broken this, broken homes, and we come out of broken families, um, homes that you know, our moms and dads broke up, our families broke up. Um, homes that were marked by alcoholism or abuse verbal emotional sometimes sexual abuse and we we bring our brokenness into a relationship sometimes hoping that our spouse is going to be able to heal all the brokenness that our spouse is the lifesaver we come in with all this stuff that we have all our baggage that we have you know and if you're a guy you see you know about a, a five foot four inch blonde lifesaver Coming toward you, if you're a woman, there's about a six foot one lifesaver. Come, if I can just spend the rest of my life, they'll fill all the holes of my brokenness. They'll fill the the aloneness that I'm going through, that I feel. And I, I just want to tell you, there's not many spouses that we can ever connect to that have the ability to heal our brokenness. It takes a counselor. It takes the Lord. And when we throw that on one another, we throw unfair expectations on that person that they can't handle and should not have to handle. Somebody said one time, like when we when we feel lonely, our aloneness. That there's two there's two levels of aloneness. There's there's level one that that can be met through a good friendship, through a good marriage, through intimacy with somebody. But there's a certain level of 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 aloneness that can only happen through a relationship with God. Our creator and us having a relationship together. And not, I, I gotta tell you, the only thing worse than a, a single person that, that deals with loneliness is a married person who still feels alone. And if they expect that spouse to fit into a gap in their heart and emotions that only God can do, they're going to be disappointed because that's a place only God can fill. And when we expect our spouse to be God or to do what God does best, we miss out and we throw on them expectations that should never be there. That's why it's when the Lord is building the house. There are certain things that he created in us that only he can fill. And as he fills them in us, we are able to then um, share them and, 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 and give them to our spouse out of the out of the overflow of his health and his his grace and his goodness in us so problem free marriage yeah that's probably not going to happen the last one i would myth i'd bring to you is that that change positive change is impossible our our relationship is so far gone that there's no hope for us i think that's just a myth I mean, I've seen some, some pretty poor marriages. And I've seen some marriages that I would, I would, on the surface, say, yeah, I don't think there's any hope for those guys. Sometimes I even say that. And then I have to bite my lip. Because as, as believers in Jesus Christ, we see things differently. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, he took his, all our sin upon him on the cross. He died, he buried all that sin. And then he resurrected to new life. He resurrected to give us resurrection power so that not only is our sin forgiven, but we're taken from dead in life to new life. We're raised up with him to not only life abundant here on earth, but life for eternity with him. We are resurrection people. That means he resurrects us. He resurrects marriages, families. He can resurrect anybody. He he took dead people and resurrected them. He can take a dead marriage and resurrect it. I don't think there's there's anybody that cannot benefit from, from his resurrection power. When he comes in, he makes all the difference unless the Lord builds a house. We labor in vain. So those are the myths. With those myths, let me just give you three stages of, of marriage that I think the Bible kind of identifies and um, and, and, and speaks to. The first one is the uh, the stage of of a happy honeymoon, anywhere from the first six months to about two years or so, they call it the happy honeymoon. It's, it's the it's 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 the guy in the in the bar with his girlfriend, you know, looking longingly into her eyes. So I'm gonna do a little experiment, guys. I'm, I'm are any of you guys married? Any people married here? The rest of you just watch the married people here. I'm gonna do a little thing with you. I'm gonna have you recite scripture to your spouse, okay? So we kind of reach over and look at her. This is from the Song of Solomon, okay? You know who wrote the Song of Solomon? Solomon. Solomon. Yeah, it's not a trick question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys, are you ready to recite scripture to your wife? Look in her eyes like that guy with the chips and dip. (laughs) How beautiful you are, my darling. Ah. How beautiful your eyes behind your veil are like doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Wait, 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 don't say that. Your teeth, this may not be that good either. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn. This is coming up from the water. Your teeth are nice and white. It goes, well, this fourth, it goes on and says, each has its twin. It's like, your teeth are beautiful. Both of them are. are. This was from the southern part of Israel when he wrote. Okay, here we're. Write your letters to Pastor Jared at Desert City. Here's a better one for your wife. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your neck is like the tower of David, built with egg. Your neck is le- is elegant. That's what they're saying. Your two breasts are... Never mind. we let's <laughs> get. Teenagers do not read this book. Do not do not read the Bible. I'll let you guys finish that one. Well, what's going on with, with Solomon here? He's in the honeymoon stage with his with his wife. One of his 900 or whatever wives he had, I, he's in the honeymoon stage. He, everything is just perfect. Here's, here's how you characterize that stage: there's, a, there's an intensity to it. There's, I only have eyes for you. You know, it, oh, oh, keep talking. You know, there's this, there's this focus. My focus is on you. I can't work. I can't eat. I Can't sleep without thinking about you. It's it's an infatuation, really. It's it's an idealism. If you go on in that fourth chapter of Song of Solomon, he goes on in the seventh verse and says, there is no flaw in you. (laughs) Later he says, you've stolen my heart. Verse nine, you've stolen my heart. There's no flaw in you. All I see is perfection in you. The last I that I'd give you that is ignorance. (laughs) They don't even know each other. And when we first get married, we we really don't know each other. We really don't know each other. We're in love with the ideal person that we've we've married, with our expectations of what that ideal person looks like. And we have no idea. We are completely ignorant of what the future brings. We have no idea what it's going to look like. And yet we stand in front of a pastor, and family members, and we say, for better or for worse, rich or poor, sickness and in health. And in counseling, premarital counseling, I'll go, do you guys know what that means? And they say, it doesn't matter because we're in love. We're in love. It, how bad can it get when we're in love? What's poor when... Our, our richness of love carries us through. Sickness and health, ugh, we're young. What could, what could ever happen till death do us part? We're ignorant of what could, this could happen. Six months and two years, and then it gives way to a second stage, stage of delusionment. Reality might be a better one, but delusionment. Remember, remember Solomon? Wrote the Song of Solomon. You know another book he wrote? Proverbs. Proverbs 27, he says this, A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. (laughs) He's somehow gone from, there's no flaw in you. One version says, a nagging wife is like a dripping faucet. A quarrelsome wife, a quarrelsome husband, constant drip, 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 drip. I gotta do something about that. Drip, 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 drip. What's going on? It's that second stage. It's the stage of disillusionment. Sometimes it's not something huge that comes into our married life that makes a big difference. Sometimes it's just the dullness of routine of life. It's just, it's just the same old, same old. And we get bored or we get frustrated, and the dullness comes into disappointment and 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 in that disappointment, there's, there's conflict, and there's criticism. In the honeymoon stage, you can't do anything wrong. In the disillusionment stage, you can't do anything right. In the in honeymoon stage, don't worry, I'll get that for you. In this stage, is, if you want to get it yourself, for each sake, so And it leads to despair. And despair is like either a breakup, a breakdown, or maybe a breakthrough. A breakdown is like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Breakdown. A breakdown sometimes leads into depression. So discouraging. Maybe it's I, I, I got to make it through. We're going to survive somehow. But I'm just miserable. Is this all there is? I'm trapped. Um, I've, I've got cheated. A break. Up is just, I'm going to blow it up. I'm done. I'm history. And most divorces get blown up within the first three and a half years of marriage. Average marriage in America lasts 7.2 years and then just gets broken up. In our culture, the only two stages that really we know about in America is the honeymoon stage and the disillusionment stage. That's all, for the most part. Honeymoon, honeymoon, everything's going well, and then disillusionment, reality, dullness, re- despair, discouragement, misery, and so either I'm going to have to live the rest of my life in misery, or I'm going to get through this, or I'm going to keep at it because I, you know, I'll go on, or I'm done because there's someone else I can find the honeymoon stage with, and I'm just going to leave this one so I can usher myself into another honeymoon stage, and I'll stay in the, until that one falls apart, and then another honeymoon stage. And, Pretty soon, I don't even want to mess with marriage anymore. If I can just find somebody that will give me the honeymoon stage, without any attachments or responsibility, and our whole culture starts to do that. But God says, if you're if you're gonna let me build this relationship, it's not the breakdown. It's not the break break up. It's the breakthrough that leads you into the kind of love that I want to build. It's the it's the kind of love that's a a deeper love. It's the kind of love that can never really take complete um, um, set in, into your life and, until you work through those other two stages, until it's no longer just infatuation, until there's been some struggles and you've stuck with each other. And then it's not informed by Hollywood. It's form, informed by the Lord who, who builds the house and puts it together. It's the First Corinthians 13 um, type love. Let me just give you a, a couple of those Very familiar words of what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in the evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That kind of love. I, I'm convinced. Marriage is meant to have fulfillment, intimacy, enjoyment, joy, happiness—all those things that we enter that honeymoon stage with. And it can. And it will. But it, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen through through time and commitment, working with the Lord, to build something that is so different than what our culture knows about. I've said everything on this page to say this. Here's a quote I want you to catch. Love is not an emotion you feel. Or maybe love is more than an emotion you feel. If you can fall into love, I just fell in love with You can easily just fall out of love. It's not an emotion you feel. It's a state you create. It's a state you create. It's a state that you say, Lord, let's build this thing together. And it's going to take time for two sinners to be able to honor one another. For two sinners to be able to get to the point where they submit to one another, where they serve one another where they encourage one another, where they build one another up, where they give of themselves in order to, to help this, this marriage, this family, go, to get to that point. It takes, it takes time just to knock the selfishness out of us in order to be able to, to serve one another. That's going to take a decade at least. You go through all these 1 these Corinthians scriptures, it's going to take a while to get there. We have a lifetime to watch God say, "I can do something in you." That unless I'm building it, everything else you're going to do is be vanity. It's going to be empty, and your two stages don't have to end at despair. The third stage is a breakthrough. I wonder today, as you as you think about your life, your marriage maybe if you're if you're single the, the same thing the same in in any relationship just just have you have you invited the lord into your life and into your marriage to give him full control to, to build it there's three quick steps first one is to is to just confess it i need you help <laughs> i'm falling short don't have what it takes. Bible never says to confess the sin of your spouse, but to confess your own sin. Lord, start with me. You want to start to build a marriage, let the Lord start to build you, your faith. And then surrender. Get rid of it. Let go of stuff. Things that are hindering your marriage and hindering your relationships. You can't just keep doing those things and think everything's going to be all right. Some of those things that are killing it and choking it, Surrender. God, I'm I'm letting go of this stuff because as much as I want to hang on to it, I want to hang on to this marriage and I want to hang on to you even more. It's all summed up by saying, look up. Look up. The Lord wants to help you build your marriage. Wants to help you build your family. Wants to help you build your single life to where you're not dependent on anybody any more than you are on God. And from there, when he's first, All these things are added to you. Seek first his kingdom. We're going to uh, close our service with a time of communion, as we always do. The elements are up here. Um, The worship team is going to come and lead us in the last song. For some of you, it might be um, a a time of of just before the Lord, just just laying it all out. As you you take the bread, when that bread is broken, it's it's like um, I went to the cross for you. Jesus to say, my body was broken for you. And here's what I want you to consider as a, as a married couple. And maybe, maybe as, a, as couples you want to just go to a corner or to the chair and take it together. Um, maybe you'd, you'd want to just um, share. Give, give your spouse the bread and exchange it. And, and say this. If you can really get there and mean it. As Christ's body was broken for you, I'm willing to be broken for you as well. I'm willing for you to see the love of Christ through me. And the cup is poured out. It's a new covenant love. It's kind of love that says, it's not because of what you can give me, but it's because I can give you this love. It's it's an agape love. And as you would share with your spouse, you might just say, as, as Christ's blood was poured out for you, I pour my life out for you as well. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to have a life and love that lasts. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, these moments before you are, are so precious. Thank you for sending Jesus who died on the cross for us. We celebrate the gift of grace and mercy, and I pray that that mercy and that grace, that forgiveness would infiltrate our relationships and our individual hearts and lives. In Jesus name.